Hello, this is Joe and TJ, and we are the Schoolhouse 302, and we want to welcome you back to Focus Ed for Season 4. We are truly excited. Focus Ed is a collaborative project with the University of Delaware, the Delaware Department of Education, and the two of us, Joe and TJ, at the Schoolhouse 302. TJ, tell our audience a bit more about Focus Ed. Absolutely. Focus Ed is a podcast that gets recorded with a live audience. We do 14 episodes every season. We're in season four, but you can find season one, two, and three on our site at theschoolhouse302.com. It's a professional development experience for anyone who wants to attend, and then we blast it out from our site. We interview great leaders, authors of popular books, and experts in teaching, learning, and leading so that you can lead better and grow faster in your school or district. Thank you for listening to Focus Ed, and we hope you'll join us live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Focus Ed, where each episode we invite an expert guest to join us. And this episode, we have Morgan Michael. Welcome to the show, Morgan. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. We are thrilled to have Morgan on the show. We are focused this month really on teacher stress, teacher burnout, and really a proactive approach that teachers can take for themselves, as well as what school leaders can do for their school culture. With that, TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more? Sure thing, Joe. Thanks for that. Morgan Michael has been an elementary school educator with the Greater Victoria School District in British Columbia, Canada since 2008. Michael is a passionate advocate for social and emotional learning, kindness education, and educator well-being, and she leads professional development initiatives aligned with those efforts throughout her province. Michael pursued her interest in developing positive school culture through carrying out kindness and self-compassion practices by promoting effective social collaboration, by nurturing creativity, and through building self-efficacy that is responsive to students' needs. She established a culture of high expectations by launching her podcast, Kind Sight 101, in 2008. She has interviewed some of the world's biggest names in education on topics of kindness, well-being, self-compassion, and promotion of positive school culture. Morgan Michael is also the creator and founder of the Small Act Big Impact 20-Day Kindness Challenge, which seeks to promote and cultivate safe and supportive school culture. She shares insights from her podcast and lesson ideas on her blog called Small Act Big Impact, which you can find at smallactbigimpact.com. Morgan Michael received a bachelor's degree in elementary education from the University of Victoria, British Columbia. She's currently completing a master's degree in educational leadership. She lives with her family in Victoria, British Columbia, and we're so excited to have her here today. Morgan, I want to jump right in to this problem that we're seeing really about burnout. I don't think your book could have come at a better time for those of us on this call listening live and anybody who listens after the podcast gets published teacher burnout. And you wrote a book called From Burnout to Fired Up. I love that. And so let's start simple and then dive deeper and deeper. Why did you write the book? And how can we reignite and sustain our passion as educators for ourselves, for our teachers, for our culture, for our kids? Wow. Well, thank you so much for the question. I think at the end of the day, I wrote this because even before this big pandemic that we've been walking through, have 
somewhat overcome, but we're sort of in the merge lane back to normal, there was a need for this kind of work. A lot of educators were already feeling stressed, stretched, burnt out, maybe under-resourced, and as a result, weren't always able and have not always been able to be the full expression of themselves as educators. And I think what this book does is it offers a roadmap and you can dive in at any point, depending on where it is that you're at or, or some of the areas that you want to work on specifically about, about your own self-care and about your own journey to sort of replenish that feeling of excitement and the big why, why did you first get into education? I think sometimes we're very, very good at the how and the what, the curriculum and the delivery method. We do a tremendous amount of professional development around that, but we really need to refocus on the why. And the reason I wrote this book is to get back to that. Ironically, the pandemic happened right after I signed the contract. And so the interesting thing is that this book actually, it's almost as if it was meant to be because after the pandemic, I think we are in an even worse state of burnout. Many of us are just stretched right to the limit. So I'm very excited to share this work with my audience and with yours because I think it's important. I think it's critical. I do think the universe works like that. There are some things that have come out of the pandemic, although I never want to go back there ever again. But I do think we've had some takeaways. This delay, I think it is hitting the shelves at a time where people really need it. There's no doubt TJ and I want to get into the five R's. I think they're mm -hmm. critical. But when I was reading through the story of Mr. Graham in the mm -hmm. intro was very compelling. I think it's a, just a good reminder on the impact we can have. It goes directly with your impact work. Can you just talk yeah. about that relationship a little bit, the impact it had on you and how that fits into people's why? Because I think as educators, when we give, we feel better. And that was all about giving that story. Yes. Thank you for queuing that up. Yeah. So when I was in, I went to high school in a little town called Nanaimo and it's on Vancouver Island on the West coast of Canada. And we went to high school from eighth grade to 12th grade. And I remember walking into my drama teacher's big dusty annex in grade eight and being completely terrified and excited. And he sort of had this reputation that preceded him. He spoke in metaphors and he had a British accent and he was really unorthodox in his method, but most of the kids just absolutely loved him. And I'm not even sure what we learned particularly that pertain to the curriculum, if that makes sense. But he taught us a lot about life, a lot about life. And so I remember that very first day that I walked into his eighth grade classroom, he announced to us sort of prophetically that we would all be learning the road not taken by Robert Frost and that we'd be learning to juggle. And if that wasn't enough, he then essentially told us that we'd be doing the two simultaneously in front of our eighth grade peers. So around 12 or 13 years old. And if that's not an embarrassing sort of prospect, I don't know what is at that age. So we were all super scared. And he said this really, really poignant phrase to us. He said, you know, you can take the zero if you want and avoid the risk of failure, or you can do it. And if you fail, then fail gloriously. And I remember that moment as though, you know, I was standing there before him right now, this feeling of, okay, it's a jump off the cliff moment. Let's take a risk. What's the worst thing that can happen? And we surprised ourselves. Most of us were able to learn this poem and we were able to juggle. And I'm a classroom teacher 
teacher still. So I, and I do professional development, but every so often just to wow my little students, I'll pull out the juggling balls and show them that I can still do it. But you know, he was one of those teachers that really impacted us on a deep level. He would smoke Benson and Hedges cigarettes right outside the classroom door. And he had these crazy vests that were like brocade, just crazy outfits that he'd wear with these hats. But he had a way of just really making us feel seen. And I remember, you know, I didn't have the easiest home life growing up as many of our students experience. And I remember one particular day, you know, several years later, I had been in his class every year and it was 11th grade by this point. And, you know, I was going through some things and he just had this way of seeing us. And I remember him, he had probably just finished a cigarette, to be honest. And he was right outside that classroom and he stopped me before I went in and he said, Morgan, do you need to just take a break? And by this point I had my driver's license. And I said, you know, I've been a hard couple of days. I'm really struggling. And he said, hold out your hand. And I said, okay. And I held out my hand and he put the keys to his car in my hand, which by today's standards would be quite unethical, I'm sure, and definitely not part of the curriculum. But he essentially invited me. He said, you are welcome to take the car for a drive around the block, and then you can come back when you're ready to learn. And while we can't do that for our students right now, we can't give them our vehicles, we can certainly give them the break that they need to center, refocus, and to kind of display that self-regulation that they need to be good learners, right? And so that moment really stuck with me. And years passed, it was finally graduation time. And I remember writing a few letters to those really special teachers that had made a tremendous impact on my life. And obviously, Mr. Graham is at the very top of my list. And so I, I don't exactly remember what I wrote to him, but I basically poured my heart out. And we remained friends, you know, after high school and into my first couple of university years, and we would go for coffee and, and all of these things. But I remember one day, he called me, and his voice sounded heavy. It gives me chills when I think about it. He said, Morgan, I've got some bad news. I need you to sit down. And I said, okay. And he said, I've got terminal cancer. The doctors say I don't have long to live. And um, this is it for me. And I remember I felt like the ground was slipping from under me. He had been such an important person in my life. Obviously, I visited him quite a bit after that. And then at one point, he called me again. And he just said, I can't leave the house. I need you to come to the house. And I just knew in my heart in that moment, that would be the last time I'd see him. I remember walking up to his house and his wife opened the door and led me down the hallway to where he was. And just before I walked in that room, I looked on the wall and there framed on the wall of his home was my letter from so many years earlier. And I think what that moment really taught me was not only that he had been an important person in my life, but that as a student, I had been able to have an impact on him. And I think that when we think about our why as educators, often we look to the people who either inspired us or the people who weren't able to come through for us during that really important time as students ourselves in school. And it helps us to be the best teachers we can be. And after that moment, I really wanted to be a teacher myself. I kind of understood the importance of that relationship. And so part of the book and the work that I do and the passion that I have for this is that we want to get back to that point as educators where our students look to us for this really important connection, not only to the curriculum, but to life and to that excitement and inspiration. So that's the why behind the book. That's a great and touching story. Thank you for sharing that, Morgan. And I can't help but think, though, that you're right. So the relationship is reciprocal. We pour into our students. If we're good at this, we let the students pour into us. I don't know that everybody's always open to that, but it really is a powerful strategy. And strategic it is. 
because I bet he hung that letter there for the bad days, right? I'm going to get home and I'm going to see that letter and it's going to make things better. Can you talk to us more about strategy? Because I think that's important. Like frame the letter, put it on a wall. Don't let a day go by that you don't look at it and reflect on what that's doing for young people in their lives. I know that our listeners are going to want to hear more about what else people can do, because I think that's a great example. Can you say more about that? Sure. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought up the word reflect. In the book and in my professional development workshops, we go through a framework that really talks about strategies, because I think, and as an educator, practicing educator, nothing is worse than professional development that is theory-based and then that there's nothing tangible that we can take away. And so that's always a really big part of the work that I do is helping people to develop a toolbox. So one of the things that we do when we're reflecting is the ability to acknowledge, for example, some of our strengths. And I think we do this beautifully for our students, and sometimes we forget to do this for ourselves. So one of the activities that I love to do is called the happiness activity. And it came actually from Tim Ferriss, a podcaster that I absolutely adore. A lot of the work that I've done and woven into the book are not necessarily directly connected to education, but have tremendous sort of benefits, you know, in terms of the philosophy. And so the happiness strategy is very simple. It's basically whenever you get one of those lovely notes from a parent or a student, or even from an administrator, or if you're an administrator yourself, if you get some notes or some kind of accolade from your staff or whomever, find a way and a place to capture that moment. So some people might do that digitally. You can literally in the notes on an iPhone, take a picture of a document and put it in a folder. And you can do the same like physically, have a jar or a box with all of those lovely cards from years past that really highlight all of those wonderful things that you've been able to do for other people. But also some of the accolades, some of the things that you've done in your own time. Maybe you did a half marathon, you know, put that little certificate in that box just to remind yourself of all these wonderful things that you've done. And as fluffy as that sounds, when it comes to those really hard moments or those days where you get one of those ragey emails from a parent or a student or somebody who's maybe not super pleased with how things are going and often it's a miscommunication, but it can be really easy to personalize those moments. When you take out your happiness jar or that jar of strengths, it reminds you of your value and it reminds you of all of these wonderful things that you've been able to impart on people and also of your gifts because I think it's quite easy to turn inward and to isolate when we're in struggle. So that's one strategy that's connected to that reflection. Do you want me to share another? I would say absolutely. You could, Morgan, also tie yeah. to some of the R's. You're definitely hitting yeah. like the reflect yeah. and reframe right, right there. At least that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Another big part of burnout is that we don't always process our emotions. I think as educators, we are so good at teaching social emotional learning to our students and then actually practicing it ourselves can be very, very tricky and putting it into authentic, genuine practice. And so one of the really easy strategies that I like to share, especially with some of my more cynical participants, you know, who are like self-care isn't really for me because they think of it more as like bubble baths and pedicures and things, which it's not. I like to share this because it's really quick and it's a very simple activity that can get you in tune with not only your emotions, which is a very, very important piece of burnout, but it also gets you in touch with your body and then also what you need. And so essentially this is what you do. You schedule into your phone three times, once in the morning, once in the afternoon or sort of the lunch hour, and then once just before bed, you schedule this in your phone for about three minutes during those three times. And you ask yourself the following three questions. Number one, what am I feeling? 
the biggest part of burnout is sort of cycling through emotions and sort of getting stuck in, say, a feeling of languishing or frustration or anger or, you know, restlessness. So if we're able to name those emotions, it's easier to tame them or to sort of move on from that. The second question that you're going to ask yourself is where do I feel that emotion? So what do I feel and where do I feel it? And quite often, like even right now, if you're a listener, just drop your shoulders, take a big, deep breath, unclench your jaw. It is so common for educators and administrators and supportive staff to just hold all that tension in their shoulders and jaws. And over the day, you know, that kind of compounds and you hold all this tension. And so if you can just take a breath and just like tune into where you're feeling it, we'll feel it in our stomach sometimes or the shoulders. And then thirdly, you ask yourself, what is it that I need? And this is very much connected to our emotional needs. But generally, once you've had a chance to quickly reflect, you know that you're thirsty or that you need a moment of quiet that you need to maybe just tackle two or three things on your things to do list. But until you sort of take that time to reflect, you can just kind of feel frazzled without really realizing why. So that's a very easy, quick strategy that can get you aligned with sort of that reflection piece as well. I think that's a super helpful tip. I've read that before about programming in your phone. I like the idea. You just set that up three different times. I've heard different things that put in. It is amazing though. It goes off. It's a nice reminder. Morgan, if you would in mind, because this is something I struggle with and I've come to the conclusion that if I'm usually struggling with it, so are others, or at least I tell myself that so I don't get uh, frustrated with myself. When you ask yourself, what is it I need? Mm -hmm. How can we get better at that? Because I will Mm -hmm. say like, I'm not good at that answering that question. I'm not sure. And I've also found sometimes I'll do more than Mm -hmm. compensate for like, maybe what I actually need is not to listen to Audible right now or music. (laughs) I need maybe like some silence. Is there anything you found that helps with that? Because I've struggled with that exact question. I love that question. And I think that is so true, especially for doers. (laughs) We tend to want to do more. And sometimes it's about deleting things off of our to-do list and giving ourselves permission. I have a very easy framework that allows you to decide whether you want to quit or continue with something that's on your to-do list. You ask yourself, is it working? And if it's working, then keep doing it. But if it's not working, then ask yourself the following question. Do I love it? It's not working and you don't love it. Allow yourself permission to either change the activity or delete it from your list. Just because you made yourself a promise at the beginning of the week, the month or the year that you're going to do a particular task, it's okay to say this actually doesn't serve me or where I want to go and take it off. So sometimes taking things off. The other piece is about tuning into your emotional needs. So I'll zoom through this fairly quickly, but we have six emotional needs. And usually when we have an unmet need in one of these six areas, it can be fairly easy to find a healthy way to meet them once we can identify that need. So the first thing is we need certainty. We need to know what's coming. So if you're feeling, say, in the pandemic, when you didn't know what was happening and there were a lot of things changing, sometimes adhering to a very strict or particular routine was helpful, for example. The second need is a need for uncertainty or fun or variety. So maybe you are so routine-based that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling restless and anxious. And what I need is I just need a day of no structure right? So that can be it. 
But the third thing that we need is we need a sense of significance. We need to feel like we matter. So sometimes tuning into something or an activity that connects us to our worthiness as contributors, you know, significance. So sometimes that's with our kids or that's with our students or that's out in the community. We also need to belong. So maybe you haven't had time with your friends or your family for a while. You need to find a way to tie that in. We also need to have growth in our lives. So maybe it's time to sign up for a course or to try something brand new that you've never tried before to experience that beginner's mindset. And then again, that contribution, we need that contribution, which most teachers do regularly. But that's one framework that I like to use just to identify what are our needs, because if we can tune into that, it can fill us up for sure. Really helpful. I know everybody on the call and who are listeners in production or after production, I should say, are taking a ton of notes on that. <laughs> and the, the people who aren't going to win the book tonight are going to buy it. I'm sure of it because that's just super helpful stuff. Even knowing that those are our needs yeah. and naming them is critical just to know like this might be a trigger for me right now because that's it's right. a universal need and it's not being met for myself. That's right. I'm going to transition a little bit to our other focus ed school leadership questions, but mm -hmm. I can't help but do it in a way that kind of gets back to something that you mentioned, which I know Joe is going to laugh when I say you mentioned Tim Ferriss and we're yes. big Tim Ferriss fans. I love that you mentioned that because I don't know that a lot of educators listen to Tim Ferriss and, and more should. But you mentioned that and couched in the fact that you've gotten a lot of resources from outside of education. Can you talk about that and any other people or resources that you follow that educators may not be aware of? Absolutely. This is a huge passion of mine. And I think there's a lot of research I quoted in my book, but when we go to the outside, meaning outside of education, and we're able to learn different frameworks, different ways of thinking, different activities and strategies, and then pull that back into education and kind of interweave it a little bit with our practice. I think it's really powerful. And a lot of different industries do this, you know, like I think we see this in hospitality and we see this in business. So why not in education? And we are lifelong learners. Most educators love learning. And so for me specifically, I love podcasts. I absolutely love podcasts because they lend themselves to multitasking, which for me, I'm a busybody. I like to be doing multiple things things at once or when I'm driving, I like to have something that I'm thinking about. And so like you mentioned, Tim Ferriss is one of the podcasts that I absolutely love. Love Seth Godin, anything Seth Godin, I'm a huge fan of. Actually, my podcast I did with him and, and did some coaching with him as well. And that was really, really powerful. So he has a ton of books. That was great. I love anything by Dr. Adam Grant. He's an absolute brilliant psychologist. A lot of Brene Brown's work is pretty valuable as well in education in terms of leadership as well. All of these these folks have podcasts, by the way, but they've written beautiful books, often nonfiction books, but they're largely around sort of human psychology or leadership. And I find there are so many specific strategies in all of them that can be applicable to education, whether it's with our students or it's with our colleagues. Okay. And that's probably TJ's top three, by the way. <laughs> Ferris okay, okay. Godin. <laughs> yeah, Ferris Godin and Grant. Yeah. We can't even talk to one another without him quoting one of yeah. those. So, uh, and Brene Brown's up there. I think her yeah. work is probably mentioned on every show. I mean, her yes. work on vulnerability, I think is huge right now. I think it's a lot of aligned to what you're describing, you know, our ability to even be vulnerable with ourselves. Yes. To some degree. You know, one thing that really attracted us to your work is the small act, big impact. And just put a little twist on that though, for you to feel like you've made your greatest impact. 
What does the next three to five years look like for you as a leader? Love that question. This question I love because I think people miss how important goal setting is in our overall happiness trajectory and sort of that feeling of satisfaction. I've had people ask me like, why is there goal setting in this book? And I say, because you want to imagine a a hopeful, exciting future. I think that's a really big part of feeling fired up. So thank you for the question. I love the work that I do with adults. I love the work in the classroom with my students. I love the work that I do in leadership in my district, but I love the work with adults, specifically educators and administrators, because I think when we change the story in our head to be one of genuine positivity of the belief that we have a tremendous impact on other people through the way that we choose to interact with each other in the way that we help each other to be resilient in the way that we build ourselves up instead of judging and tearing down. Like, I think these sound like such airy fairy sort of themes or topics, but this can change cultures. You know, Simon Sinek has done so much work also on the topic of culture creation in organizations. And so much of it comes down to, are we proud of the trail that we're leaving behind with all of our interactions? with all of the stakeholders in our schools, you know, I think that that's at the crux. So being able to be somebody who gets to speak to school districts about how to frame that kind of work, how to take care of ourselves, but not just through bubble baths, like truly do that deep work around our values and like where we want to end up as human beings and then lead because we've actually walked the walk ourselves. I think that's how we do social emotional learning justice. And we know that those soft skills are so important for our students. So why aren't we practicing them, you know, more wholeheartedly? So that's what gets me fired up is doing that work. And that's what I hope to do the next three to five years, really keep doing that work. That's a really fun answer. And I also think there's a lot to unpack with that in terms of doing deep work around Mm -hmm. our values. We always talk to leaders about identifying what their values are and then doing an inventory of their day to -hmm. find out if the activities of, you know, minute to minute are the things that are matching their values. Because if not, you can just be exhausted and burn out and maybe even efficient, but not effective. I mean, certainly not effective at answering your own questions, the three you gave us, and also meeting your own needs. I have one more question before we wrap up here, Morgan. In what you've just said in your work and in the work that's out there, is there a book title that you want to write next or that somebody hasn't written that you're thinking, we need to explore this more, educators need to read more about this, and we need to pump this into the education atmosphere? Yeah. Do you know what? Kind of torn between the kindness theme. And then I just read the book, Atomic Habits by James Clear. And it is such an important book because what it talks about is how really the way that we imagine our future comes down to the systems that we put into place, our habits. And if we don't have strong systems in place, it's really tough to get to that other side and to actually get to point B, right? Like we imagine point B, many of us have a hard time. I often get asked, you have the same amount of hours as I do, again, down to efficiency, but there's like a passion there too. When I ask teachers to invite a little bit of novelty in their life, they're like, how do I find the time? Well, it comes down to sort of how are you making, I mean, yes, there's a certain amount of privilege around time. I get that, but I'm full-time working mom with two kids and all that stuff too. And I think there's an element of intentional habits 
that we can set. And I think that when educators have that freedom to imagine the free time in their day, how do they do that with intentionality around those values, around the goals? And I would love to do a book or some work around that more specifically, because I really think that that's actually the answer, the systems, like establishing those really important systems that connect to our identity as human beings, not just as educators. We want to diversify our interests so that we get to pull that interest into our practice. So I really believe in that. Well, I can tell you that Joe just texted me and said, we could do this interview for at least another hour. <laughs> and I, I believe that too. We're coming to a close here. I think there's room for a round two, though, if you're willing to come back on the show. Of course. And we'll talk about that. I did write this down too, and we'll expect it from you. Without strong systems, it's hard to get to point B. I love that. And that will be awesome theme in an upcoming book from Morgan Michael. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. As we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to say to the people on the call here or anybody listening? You know, I just think that we need to remember to take it one step at a time. Sometimes our ideas are so big and it can get overwhelming. And to remember that you have these beautiful gifts within you, that big why the reason that you got into education in the first place. And personally, I always love connecting with readers. And if anyone's interested in the work and they want to reach out, I'm quite active on Instagram and Twitter. So please feel free to reach out. I'm happy to have a conversation. Come to your school, anything just to lead you through this work and just have a very casual conversation too. So thank you for the time and the opportunity to talk about this. Absolutely. And we're going to take you up on that. Everybody here heard the invitation. And again, you heard it here on Focus Ed, folks. Morgan, Michael, everyone, please a virtual round of applause for Morgan. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Delaware Academy for School Leadership, the Delaware Department of Education and the Schoolhouse 302. Don't forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and more. We'll be back soon with another episode of Focus Ed. Until then, stay focused. Hey, leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really, because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time, and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced, from the comfort of your office or home. Here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.